listeners. This is Labor Know Your Rights Podcast. I'm your host, Dave. This episode is brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. Contact information can be found in our show notes, including our toll-free number, where you can leave a message, ideas for future episodes, or tell us about events, campaigns, or victories in your union. Please check out Life on Record. Hey listeners, Labor Know Your Rights will be changing our host in the near future. We have a new RSS feed with a slight change in our name to Labor Know Your Rights V2 for version 2. We did this so we could check out our new host while maintaining our old host on a temporary basis. All our past episodes are available by searching for our new name on the application you use to get our podcast now. In a couple of months, you will want to be using the new name as we will be losing the current RSS feed. I apologize for the inconvenience, but Phil, our new host, has better tools and should make our podcast better. After the House had appointed its conferees on Friday, August 14th, the Senate met the following Monday to consider the message from the House announcing the passage of the Senate bill with the London Griffin Amendments and asking for a conference. Lyndon Johnson announced to the Senate that Johnson, Kennedy, Dirksen, and McClellan had agreed that the Senate would have an opportunity to debate any bill agreed to in conference and that the Senate conferees would ask for instructions if the session became deadlocked. Johnson also pointed out that any member could at any time move to recall the bill and conferees from conference. Dirksen raised the question of instructing conferees, then Munt started an argument over two requests. The first for an immediate vote on the bill as passed in the House and for instructions to conferees to report back to the Senate prior to formal disagreement. His request for a vote on the Landrum-Griffin bill, which, if adopted at that point, would have obviated need for a conference and killed the Candy-Urban bill, was rejected by Goldwater and McClellan, without whose support such vote could not hope to succeed. They affirmed their belief that they could bring out a better bill than either of the two was at the time. Goldwater even admitted in this connection that the Kennedy-Urban 
bill was tougher in its first five titles than the Landrum Griffin bill, and that parts of Kennedy Urban were preferable. Vice President Nixon refused to accept Munt's motion for instructions to the conferees, saying Munt could propose it again after the Senate agreed to send the bill to conference. Goldwater promised to bring the bill back to the Senate within a week of the halt of progress. Munt subsided and Johnson moved that the Senate insist on its bill and appoint conferees. The motion passed on a voice vote. The Vice President announced that the conferees were Kennedy, McNamara, Morse, Randolph, Goldwater, Dirksen, and Crowdy, all the members of the Senate Subcommittee on Labor, of the Committee on Labor and Public Welfare. Although no official transcript of the conference committee was published, the progress or lack of it was well documented in the press. The Senate conferees were more divided than the House team, but with Kennedy as chairman and supporting him, the other three Democrats from the Senate, Morris McNamara and Randolph, made a stand for the position taken in the Kennedy Urban Bill. The House conferees were led by Graham Barden, Democrat, North Carolina, chairman of the House Committee on Education and Labor. Although a Democrat, a strong advocate of the strict reforms in the Landrum Griffin Bill, he was supported by Landrum Griffin, Thompson, Democrat from New Jersey, Arias, Perkins, and Kearns. The conference opened on Tuesday, August 18th, with statements of hope and confidence expressed by both sides, feeling scarcely supported by the facts of the situation. The first day was devoted to setting technical differences in the sections dealing with the rights of individual union members with respect to union discipline and the reporting requirements of unions and their officials. In the following days, agreement was reached on the first six titles of the seven in the bill. The bill remained mostly that of the original Landrum-Griffin bill. Kennedy compromised with the idea that he may get greater concessions on larger issues later. Kennedy claimed in the Senate on August 28th that he had compromised 27 times or 28 times to the Landon Griffin supporters three times. He admitted he did not expect a deadlock. An early agreement that was m made was to require all union officials to be bonded. This was directed at the Teamsters who were known to have had some of their officers refused bonds by surety companies. The Teamsters canceled all bonds on their officers and took their business to Lloyd's of London. The agreement required bonds to be issued by surety companies holding grants of authority from the Secretary of the Treasury. This excluded Lloyd's, although some foreign companies do hold such grants. The next issue that was debated was no man's land, but they soon realized they were far from agreement, so moved on to the provisions dealing with organizational picketing, hot cargo, and secondary boycotts. They reached an agreement on provisions regarding permitting workers on strikes to vote in recognition elections called by employers or new hires hired as replacements, but London Griffin proponents had a stipulation 
that the election must take place within nine months for the strikers to be able to vote. The proponents of the Landon-Griffin bill also won the issue of keeping service assistance, usually operators at telephone companies, in supervisory class, exempting them under the Taft-Hartley Act from organizing as workers and to deny authority to the NLRB to recognize a union prior to a preliminary NLRB hearing. A deadlocked in debate over jurisdiction in dispute excluded by the NLRB from its consideration. The Kennedy supporters favored state agencies, specifically excluding state courts with all actions governed by federal law. The London Griffin Bill provided for state courts' jurisdictions as well and allowed state law to be applied. At issue was the anti-labor reputation of the courts and state laws in the South. The conferees made no headway in this dispute. Senator Goldwater was discouraged enough to announce that he would ask the Senate to instruct the Senate conferees if agreement had not been reached by 5 p.m. of Wednesday, August 26. If he did so, it appeared likely that the Senate would proceed to vote on the Landon Griffin Bill as it passed in the House, rather than instruct their conferees to surrender in negotiations. On Tuesday, the conferees made progress and Goldwater retracted his earlier deadline following a lengthy conversation with Kennedy, Dirksen, and Lyndon Johnson. Four Senate Democrat conferees proposed a compromise. It covered the disputed areas of secondary boycotts, organizational picketing, and recognitional picketing, and no man's land jurisdiction. The terms of the package proposal were not made public, but press reports stated that they were known to be coached in language of the Landrum-Griffin Bill, with certain refinements, limitations, and provisos. One of the limitations placed by the Democrats in accepting the position on no man's land, the state courts applying state law could handle cases excluded from the NLRB coverage, was that the area of current jurisdiction would be frozen so that the NLRB would not, in the future, exclude any types of cases other than those at present excluded. When Archibald Cox, Kennedy's assistant and chief writer of the Kennedy-Urban Bill, delivered a critique of the Landrum-Griffin Bill, Cox pointed out that the hot cargo provisions would invalidate certain industry-wide agreements already signed with which management and labor seem to be mutually pleased. Cox cited the coal and railroad industries as examples of the existence of such agreements. Cox testified that the garment workers would be handicapped by the secondary boycott restrictions in the Landrum-Griffin Bill. His testimony irritated Landrum so much he disputed Cox's interpretation and demanded to know what business he had attending the conference session. The media reported an agreement to eliminate the Taft-Hartley Act amendment, which would have legalized pre-hiring agreements in the construction industry, a provision Kennedy had supported as vital to collective bargaining in the construction industry, where short work projects make agreement difficult to reach during the term of work. But Kennedy had hoped still for this amendment. 
Senator Goldwater presented a proposal to cover the candy proposals regarding a more important Taft-Hartley amendment affecting the construction industry. The amendment to permit common site picketing, picketing unfair practices of a contractor operating at a variety of sites. Although such picketing would affect subcontractors who were not parties to the dispute in violation of the Taft-Hartley secondary boycott prohibitions. Goldwater extended this proposal to cover the garment industry workers' pressure for an amendment covering similar circumstances. Goldwater wanted to do this by agreement, but not by inserting an amendment. The day ended without agreement. They considered other matters that day, such as Kennedy's compromise offer on organizational picketing, whereby unions could picket employers until an NLRB election was held, and a proposal to strengthen reporting requirements on payments by employers to labor consultants. Conferees did strengthen the London Griffin reporting requirements on the second issue. On the two most controversial issues, those of picketing and secondary boycotts, only parts of the issues remained in dispute. Goldwater felt by the end of the day that the bill was 90% London Griffin, maybe more than that. On Thursday, prospects for a final bill turned worse as Candy stood fast in support of amendments protecting the garment workers and building trades, secondary boycott practices. Two other issues remained unsettled. How much advertising unions could do regarding unfair goods produced by a retailer and how long a union should be allowed to picket to organize a plant before a representation election is held. On these questions, the Senate Democrats retained the position stated in their compromise of two days before. Friday's session failed to settle the questions at issue and Dirksen and Kennedy appeared in the Senate to request that Senate conferees be instructed regarding these issues. Each advanced a resolution asking that the Senate conferees recede and accept specified positions. Senate rules require a one-day layover. The resolutions were laid over until Monday. They met on Monday and made certain adjustments in their positions on secondary boycotts and organizational picketing, which offered enough promise of eventual settlement to lead them to schedule Tuesday's session. During the day, Senator Morse walked out announcing he was through. Later, however, he promised to return on Tuesday. Kennedy received some moral support from Secretary of Labor Mitchell, whose administration recommendations had included the Kennedy-sponsored issue in the conference regarding special exemptions from secondary boycott provisions for the construction trades. No votes were taken on the key issues, but the conferees neared agreement on language to be used in amendments covering picketing after the Labor Committee staffs had worked all Monday night drafting new phrasing. They were assigned to work all of Tuesday night on the same project. On Wednesday, the conferees reached an agreement on the final language of the Labor Reform Bill. Senator Wayne Morris announced that he would not sign the conference report. Representative Carl Perkins wanted more time to study it. The final agreements over the most disputed issues were A. As to secondary boycotts, all hot cargo contracts were declared illegal with the exception of certain garment industry practices. 
Picketing at primary sites was permitted, not common sites, as sought by Kennedy, and the building trades. B. Organizational picketing was banned for 12 months following a union representation election or when another union had been certified to represent employees. No picketing was permitted more than 30 days prior to an election. Picketing for information could not affect deliveries or services. Enforcement was authorized through mandatory injunctions through the NLRB, but the House provisions for damage for damages was eliminated. The proposed exemption for the building trade unions was eliminated after the conference was advised that the House parliamentarian would rule it out of a point of order was raised against it. The point of order could be raised in this circumstance since the provision had not been part of either bill as it passed its respective house. Kennedy announced that the Senate leaders had agreed to expedite in the next session of Congress a law protecting construction site picketing. The bill was taken immediately to the floor of the Senate where the leadership scheduled it for debate early Thursday. The question of what to name the bill came up. Kennedy suggested it be called the Labor Management Reform Bill, as it was not the Kennedy, Irvin, or the London Griffin Bill anymore. In a press statement, Landrum and Griffin stated that the bill is basically the Landrum Griffin Bill with a few clarifying amendments. On Wednesday, the bill was returned to the Senate floor. Kennedy submitted the report of the conference committee. Barden submitted his report to the House on the following day. Barden called up for the report for consideration in the House on Friday, September 4th, and asked unanimous consent that the statements of the measures be read instead of the full report, which was approved and read. A few members spoke against the bill afterwards. Barden called for a vote on the bill. There were 352 yeas versus 52 nays. Saylor, a Republican from Pennsylvania, voted present and 30 not voting. A motion to consider the vote was laid on the table and thus ended the labor reform battle in the House of Representatives. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. If you like our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find us. If you would like to contact us, we have various ways to do so in our show notes, along with contact information for the National League of Justice and Security Professionals. Thank you for listening.